From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. All right, Nathaniel Miner, you've been looking into the question of election security in Colorado for weeks now, and you've been trying to figure out if votes will be safe from hackers this November. So where do you want to start? Let's start downtown Denver, right on the 16th Street Mall, because election hacking is complex. It's technical. But I think it comes down to something pretty simple. Do people trust that their vote will count on Election Day? I hope so. I'm pretty sure it will. Uh, I'm very confident that it, it's an accurate accounting of the, of the vote. Uh, not that confident. <laughs> yeah, not too confident at all. <laughs> they have the barcode. I don't know. It just seems pretty legit. Okay, not that worried about it. No, not worried. <laughs> okay, got it. Thanks so much. But there was this one guy in particular who seemed to have put a lot of thought into this. Let's do this real quick. Can you uh, introduce yourself? Maybe what's your name? Sure. Joshua Adams. I live in Denver, Colorado. And I asked him the same question I'd asked everyone else. So when you get your ballot this week and you go to uh, drop it in the mail or drop it off, how confident do you feel um, that it's going to be counted correctly? Um, from the things in which have recently happened that have been in the news. Breaking news, the federal government has revealed that hackers targeted election systems in 21 states last year. The things that I've read on and seen on social media, it's alarming and concerning because, I mean, with so many different systems that have played with our, our, our ballot, that's scary. When I asked him for more specifics, he said he's most worried about Russia and how he thinks they've been messing with our election. Do we really have a voice or are we yelling in a hole or a pit and somebody else is actually the one pulling the strings in the background? Is he right to be concerned that a foreign government could hack the election? I mean, we can't say no because they tried two years ago. Russian hackers attacked state election systems, including ours in Colorado. It didn't work as far as we know, but Adams thought that Russians had done that, had actually changed the vote tallies in the last election. From the things that they have found, they mess with the election, right? So if the people in Russia can do it, why can't the people here do it? What we do know about the 2016 election from the Mueller investigation and other work is that the Russian government was trying to influence how people vote through things like fake news websites, propaganda. But as far as we know, they didn't actually change any votes. Right. But Adams isn't alone in thinking that they did. A recent NPR poll found that one in three Americans believe it's likely a foreign country will change vote tallies in the upcoming election. Like one in three Americans. And that's not good uh, because if people think their votes won't count, this whole system of democracy, of self-governance, that crumbles. People might not show up to the polls. They might not see their elected leaders as legitimate. Democracy really depends on people trusting election results. It's clear that even in a state like Colorado, where we supposedly have this really good election security system, voters here are skeptical too. This week on Purplish, we're going to look at how Colorado gained its reputation for being the most reliable state to cast a ballot, and why in 2018, that expert opinion might not be enough to put Colorado voters at ease. (laughs) 
Okay, Nathaniel Miner, let's do it. How did Colorado get so good at election security? Well, I think to really understand it, you have to go back to 2000. An election in turmoil, a presidency in the balance, a nation waits. Who will emerge the winner in the historic Florida recount? This is the moment where people in America start to doubt this technology that defined our elections for so long, paper ballots. The Florida recount showed all the just embarrassing problems that can come along with a traditional punch card system. First, you have to know that the punch hole is called a chad. So you've heard about all this chad stuff, right? Yeah, like the hanging chads. I I was only 10 when this all went down, but I mean, it was everywhere. Yeah, I was 12. Uh, But the chad stuff showed paper ballots are not foolproof, right? The dimpled chad. There is an indentation in the chad. The voter put some pressure on it, but didn't detach it at all from the ballot. Those were not counted. Certain designs can leave a lot of room for human error. The final category is the pregnant Chad. That is, the Chad was pierced with a hole. And then in Palm Beach County, Florida, the, the whole design of the ballot was problematic. Democrats charge a confusing ballot layout led voters to think they were punching the ballot for Al Gore when they were actually voting for Reform Party candidate Pat Buchanan. 3,500 people did not vote for Pat Buchanan. Come on, this is heavily Democrat of Palm Beach County. The Supreme Court eventually ended the recount and declared George Bush the winner. But the turmoil in Florida led to this bill called the Help America Vote Act, HAVA. And it was designed in large part to phase out old voting machines. When I first voted in Connecticut, the equipment I used to vote then is the equipment I've used today. And that's true in so many different states. We hope to improve that. As a result of HAVA, $650 million was provided to the states to replace lever and punch card machines for more modern voting equipment. Basically, the federal government had a plan to make voting systems more modern and accessible. And the guidelines they spelled out led many places to purchase electronic voting machines. And why? Like, what were the advantages to those devices? So the interfaces were clear in some cases, more straightforward than paper ballots. And many of them were more um, accommodating of people with disabilities. And then also you don't have piles of paper to sort through and count. But around the country and in Colorado, people started to worry about these things. Who? Like, who was raising the objections to these voting machines in Colorado? So one of the most persistent activists was this guy. I'm Neil McBurnett. I'm an independent consultant. I went up to Boulder recently to meet McBurnett. He's this tall guy with a big, bushy red beard and just a sweet, nice guy. And he's sort of like equal parts tech whiz and earnest believer in democracy. Democracy is hugely important and recognizing the threats long before anyone was talking about Russia or cyber attacks has been a big motivator for me. And he had an opportunity to get involved back in 2002. A friend called me up and said, hey, they need election judges. And I said, that sounds fun. I'd like to know more about the mechanics of the process. Like an election judge. So he's one of those people that oversee everything at a polling station. And then they're often the ones who give you that, like, I voted sticker. Right. And in 2002, Boulder County still had paper ballots. But as a computer scientist, McBurnett did not like their system. I was nervous because they were using computers to count and report our votes. And I saw no one paying attention to the paper ballots that people had marked their choices on. What McBurnett realizes is that Boulder wasn't doing anything to keep track of its paper ballots. They just fed them into a computer and then paid attention to the final vote count. I mean, what's wrong with that? The results are what matters here, right? Uh, not really. Because let's say someone did manage to hack in and change results. How would you know? 
Like, if you had the original paper ballots kept under lock and key and carefully kept track of them, you could use that to check against those results. It's critical to have paper involved in elections in order to allow us to look at the evidence for each individual election and see if the evidence, the paper ballots, actually matches what the computers produce as the outcome of the election. So when other counties were moving toward electronic voting systems, McBurnett and others convinced Bowler to stick with paper. Um, The previous clerk looked like she was on a path where she wanted to use more electronic equipment. This is Hillary Hall, the Boulder County clerk and recorder. She credits people like McBurnett for preventing that from happening. Our citizens really engaged our commissioners, and through that, we ended up with a model where everyone would vote on a mail ballot unless you uh, wanted to use the accessible equipment, and then most people cast their ballot on paper. Okay, so in places across the country that aren't Boulder, counties uh, sometimes are moving more towards electronic voting systems. Right. But this backlash grows, and it eventually gets into a Halloween episode of The Simpsons. Ooh, one of those electronic voting dealies. Homer's using a touchscreen, and it's not working. One vote for McCain. Thank you. (laughs) No, I want to vote for Obama. Two votes for McCain. Come on, it's time for a change. Three votes for McCain. No, no, no! Six votes for President McCain. And this being a Halloween episode, Homer is actually eaten by the voting machine. Ah, This doesn't happen in America! Maybe Ohio, but not in America! But anyway, the point is that these new machines were becoming a joke in their own right. Okay, so people started to raise doubts about these machines and whether they were accurate and safe and would work. What happens in Colorado once that movement grows? So the counties across the state start taking notice and move toward paper themselves. And it all culminates in 2013 when the state legislature passes a bill moving Colorado to all mail-in paper ballots. Part of that was to increase access, but it also meant that almost every vote in the state now was cast on paper. The one exception is overseas voters. And for Neil McBurnett, after years of pushing, this was like a sweet, sweet victory. Yeah, I was absolutely thrilled. It's exciting when something that you've cared about for so long starts coming to fruition. It always takes longer than you think, I have to say that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to follow a ballot through the modern Colorado voting system. And we're going to look for where it might be most vulnerable to someone trying to break into the system. You're listening to an episode of Purplish all about paper ballots. And if you're a Colorado voter, you might still have one sitting on a kitchen counter waiting for a vote. I'm Ryan Warner from CPR News with a recommendation to check out our podcast, Who's Gonna Govern? The latest episodes are our in-depth interviews with the leading candidates for governor. Our focus is preschool and kindergarten. We have uh, finance mechanisms like social impact bonds. Uh, We need to manage our growth better, and the only way we manage our growth better is by finding a long-term solution to our crumbling infrastructure. Democrat Jared Polis and Republican Walker Stapleton have sparred in debates. Plenty of punches have been thrown in ads. But on who's going to govern, they sit down and answer our questions. And just as importantly, our follow-up questions. Find who's going to govern wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that CPR's supporting members make digital content like this possible. Learn more at CPR.org. You're back with Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. 
I'm Sam Brash, and I'm here at the Southmore Park and Ride in front of a ballot drop-off with Nathaniel Miner, uh, our reporter for this episode. And Nate, you're going to, like, vote right now, right? Yeah, I'm going to drop it in in just a second. Before I do that, though, like, this box that we're standing in front of, there are boxes like this all over the state. In addition to that, you can mail your ballot in, you can bring it in to a voting center. But a lot of people like these things because you pull over, jump out of your car, drop it in, and then you're done. Right. And the reason we decided to, to stand here is it's kind of the like starting point for this journey. Your ballot has to go on before election night when it actually gets counted and we see the results on the TV. And through that whole journey, it's got to be safe the entire time from, from hackers. Right. So I'm going to drop it off here. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm done with it. But this ballot's life has just started. After a ballot, let's say your ballot either goes into the mail or someone fills it out in person or it drops into a drop box, what happens then? Well, first of all, no matter how someone delivers a ballot, they're under video surveillance or someone is watching them at, at one of these places. Really? Like, so we were under video surveillance when we dropped off that ballot? I mean, yeah, because remember, these paper ballots are the ultimate failsafe. If anyone tampers with the results, we need those ballots to prove that something went wrong. Those ballots then, they're delivered to a county processing center and then tabulated into this electronic data file. At the county level, couldn't someone just hack any of those counting machines if, if they wanted to change the results? Uh, it would be really, really difficult to do that for a couple of reasons. And the first is, like, those places are, you know, under lock and key. Like, you can't just walk in. All the workers there have to take a um, CBI background check. And the machines that do the counting, the computers, those are not connected to the Internet at all. So you can't hack in remotely. Once they count all the votes and put those together into, you said, an electronic data file, what happens to that file? Those results then are put onto a USB thumb drive. And then a bipartisan team literally walks it from one set of computers offline, uh, you know, across a hallway or something to another computer that's connected to the Secretary of State's office. On that system, it's uploaded over an encrypted connection. Huh. Okay, so the Secretary of State gets these results, and they put them up on their website, right? So media organizations like us can report them on election night. Couldn't someone just hack that website? You know, there's a lot of security systems in place for that, but it is a website, so it's vulnerable. But the the thing to remember here is those are just the results. You're not changing any votes if you manage to get into that system. And the Secretary of State's office tells me that they have a contingency plan for that. So they have a different way of getting results from counties, and they would just post county-by-county results on their page. Hmm. Okay, so... We find out what happens after election day. People are elected. They're not elected. They go home. That's it, right? The election's over. For most people, this is probably when everyone stops caring. But for election officials, we're only like at halftime here. Because what happens next is really what sets Colorado apart from other states. And this gets back to what people like Neil McBurnett, the cybersecurity guy in Boulder, was really fighting for. We expect that either with a cybersecurity attack or with uh, problems with the software, that there might be an incorrect outcome. And if there is an incorrect outcome, what we want to do is reduce the risk that that doesn't get corrected. So he helped establish a process to check election results just to make sure that nothing went wrong 
throughout the, this whole process. Other states don't do post-election audits too? They do, yes, certainly. Those are done across the country to varying levels. But experts say no one does them quite as well as Colorado. And part of the reason why is instead of checking to make sure that an election went well, auditors here will start with the assumption that it didn't go well and they need to look at all the evidence to disprove that. So it's, it's sort of turning it on its head. This last step that we're discussing is called a risk-limiting audit. And Colorado is the first state to do one at a statewide level back in 2017. There is a bag of dice. And they made it fun. So what we're going to be doing is having is drawing a name. That person will then come forward and draw a die, the singular. Started by having a person just roll a 10-sided die. A 10-sided die like the kind you might use in a Dungeons & Dragons game? Yeah, exactly. The number eight has been rolled. So the dice generate a random number, and then that's used to select random ballots from counties across the state. Those ballots are checked against the results that were tabulated. If it's a close race, they'll pull more. If it's a blowout, then they don't need to pull that many. And it's really an innovative system because you don't need to check every ballot. Okay, so this audit, and I think pretty much everything else we've been talking about so far, it's been focused on the threat of hackers breaking in and actually changing vote tallies. And as we said, the counting of votes, it's something that happens at the county level. I I wonder what about at the state level? Because it's my understanding that the state maintains this big database with voter info that's also really important to making sure our elections work. Yeah, so that database is maintained by the Secretary of State's office. It's used to to keep track of where voters are, uh, if they're active or not, addresses, personal info, even a copy of their signature is in there. It's hugely important to making this whole process work. And counties do have access to it. They update it in real time. But there's a number of security measures in place here. So like if a county worker in Jeffco needs to get in, he or she will log in with username and password, and then they have a physical card from the Secretary of State's office that has codes on it, and they Mm. need to use one of those codes to complete the login just to get in. Right. So the state takes it pretty seriously. But I think the thing to remember here is if someone did get into that somehow, they couldn't change any votes. The worst they could do would be so a lot of chaos, which, yeah, would be pretty bad. Yeah, I I think it would be pretty bad because... As we've said, I mean, the threat from hackers isn't just whether or not they could change votes. It's whether or not they could manage to shake voters' confidence in the whole electoral system. So I guess what I want to ask you, Nathaniel, is from the research you've done, from the people you've talked to, is this a system that you think voters can trust in Colorado? I don't think we can say like our elections are 100% secure. Like this is a big, complicated process. But experts across the country, they look at Colorado and say, yep, this is as good as we're going to get in 2018. Are cybersecurity experts and election officials, though, are they getting the word out on that? Are they letting voters know that Colorado's election system can probably, in their estimation, be trusted? I mean, they're more than happy to talk to journalists like us who do stories like this. But let's step back for a minute and look at the environment that they're operating under. This is not part of American politics. This is not, you know, partisan warfare between Republicans and Democrats. Turn on cable news and it's wall to wall with stories about election hacking and the Mueller investigation. This is international warfare against our country. 
It's just a steady drip of new information. And yeah, we don't know the full extent of what happened at the moment, but Democratic senators like Bill Nelson of Florida think that this might shake confidence in the electoral system. Our constitutional foundation is built on a process of free and fair and unfettered elections. Well, what happened in this country two years ago put a crack in that foundation. And certainly President Trump's rhetoric has not helped here. But they even want to try and rig the election at the polling booths where so many cities are corrupt. And you see that. And voter fraud is all too common. And then they criticize us for saying that. And we have even Republicans. Oh, that's such a terrible thing to say. When was that Trump bite from? So that was a rally back in October 2016 in Colorado Springs. And I picked it because it just so happens that our Republican Secretary of State, Wayne Williams, who runs our election system, he lives in Colorado Springs. And so I asked him if his mission to promote the election system is complicated by President Trump's rhetoric. Yes, it causes challenges for me. Do I wish everybody would say things that were correct all the time? Yeah, that'd make my life a whole lot easier. And Williams really sees it as his job to be a cheerleader in this respect, to boost confidence in the system. If people do not believe the legitimacy of election results, then they deny the legitimacy of the government. They refuse to pull over for the police officer. They um, refuse to pay taxes. They refuse to stop at the red light. You know, whatever uh, the issue may be, and that's not the type of chaos that we want in Colorado or in the United States. And I don't think we'll get there. I think states like Colorado are showing a way out of that morass or out of that possibility. Is that working? Does opening up our electoral system to the public, explaining it to journalists like us, does that build up trust in democracy? Well, I mean, we don't have numbers specific to Colorado. Like that poll we mentioned earlier about a third of American voters thinking that foreign governments can change votes, Mm -hmm. that was national. But what we do know is that Colorado has great voter turnout, more than 70% in 2016. Nationwide, it was more like 58%. And it's also notable that in our highest profile races, you don't see a Jared Polis or a Walker Stapleton actively undermining our electoral system. They're not saying the whole system is rigged like President Trump did in 2016. Right, exactly. But let's let's go back to that guy we met earlier, Joshua Adams. He was downtown. I gave him a quick recap of how our system works. So there's there's a lot of things in place to make sure that your ballot is counted correctly. Does that does that make you feel any different? It does make me feel different. It does make me feel a little bit better. I think even more so what's now more alarming to me, even with that new information, is the fact that there's so much misinformation that if a person like myself is completely crazily misinformed, then how many other people who are like me are now misinformed and don't really know what to do, how to vote, anything? And Adam says his life is just hectic enough, like he works a lot of overtime, that he doesn't have time to read the newspaper and educate himself. Then it's easier to spread misinformation to people who are desperate. And we, and that's the problem, we are all desperate to just live right now. 
And that's the challenge here. For every Joshua, there are more people who just don't buy into the system. I mean, is that a problem? Because it's okay to be skeptical. We shouldn't blindly trust that our election systems are safe. We should demand proof that they are safe. Yeah, totally. Like, I agree. Uh, Experts and election officials also agree. They say that Colorado has to keep getting better. Wayne Williams says that, and the Democrat running for his seat right now, Jenna Griswold, she says that too. She wants to try to get more money from the feds to make the systems better. But where we are right now in October 2018, I think we have to acknowledge that Colorado has built a system that seems to be working really well. And if you don't believe that, election officials here are more than happy to show their work. You just have to care enough and have the time to get involved. But it does seem like there's two parts to the challenge here. Again, it's it's not just that election officials have to stay one step ahead of the hackers and always be wary of weaknesses in their system. They have to convince the public that their vote will in fact count. And I guess I'm just not totally sure yet that they've managed to do that. Well, let's take it one step further here, because what I keep thinking about is this. Like right now, Colorado is in the enviable position where its elected officials are reassuring people that their vote is safe. But what if our systems were compromised? Like what if hackers did get in somehow? They'd probably catch it and they'd fix it, but it would probably also do a number on voter confidence. And officials then would be trying to rebuild trust. And I think that would be a whole lot harder. Okay, Nate. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Sam. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a CPR member or join today at CPR.org. This episode was written and reported by Nathaniel Miner and myself. We had help from Rachel Estabrook and Kim Wynn. Brad Turner wrote the theme music. News clips this week from CNN, NBC, MSNBC, CBS4, and C-SPAN. John Pino bravely mixed all those sounds together. And as always, this show was edited and inspired by Megan Verlee, who literally stays up at night thinking about confidence in electoral systems. See you next week. Thank you.